Hola, hola. Bienvenidas to Café with Comadres. We are three Latinas meeting at the intersection of healing, faith, and justice. We believe in tables that hold space for the complexity of our stories and invite the fullness of who we are. This episode kicks off a four-episode series on comadrazgo. Comadrazgo are those voluntary kinship relationships that we foster to birth the dreams and nourish our visions of a better world. My name is Sandy Ovalle, and I am setting the table for today. Here with me are my comadres, Jennifer Guerraldana and Karen Gonzalez. Hola, hola, comadres. Hello, it's good to be back. Hola, hola, que gusto estar aquí. So good to be with y'all. Well, grab your cafecito, bring your thoughts and tenderness, porque la cosa se va a poner buena. Decolonizing my life and knowledge has meant relearning stories, hearing them and interpret them with different eyes, usually eyes that are non-dominant, those that are on the margins. I grew up learning stories of Mexica gods and goddesses. Among the most famous stories is the story of Huchilopochtli, the god of the sun and of war, who is believed to have been the main deity of the Mexica people. We also learned about his sister, Koyolshauki, the one who tried to kill him before he was born. I grew up going to the Templo Mayor, the most sacred site of the Mexica people, and seeing the Koyolshauki stone, a stone that is engraved with Koyolshauki's dismembered body. The story often painted her as a defeated sister, the one who was killed by Huitzilopochtli, the moon goddess that drew a shine from the sun the true owner and ruler of the skies. Koyoshauki was La Atrevida, the one who went against Wichelopostli, the powerful, the one who was betrayed before she could do justice. Wichelopostli, reaching from his mother's womb, pulled out his weapon and cut up Koyoshauki into pieces, throwing her into another realm, dismembered. It wasn't until last year that I relearned Koyoshauki's story, as told by Hermanas en la Lucha, Gloria Saldúa, Fe Montes, and Nadia Cepeda from the Los Angeles Koyoshauki Circle. And through these stories, I have come to see Koyoshauki as a symbol of healing and wholeness. You see, we were never thought to question the force of war being born, the interruption of violence coming into the world. We were never taught to see Koyoshauki in a positive light. We were never taught to appreciate her leadership as the oldest sister, who perhaps foresaw the coming of wars and dominion and tried to stop that. Like Koyoshauki, we are torn. There are forces that seek our destruction, war, patriarchy, white supremacy, the grind culture, all of them forcing us, all of them are forces that carry the spirit of Wichilopochtli, that violent and dominant spirit. Kojoshauki's story often ends at that point where she is dismembered. We don't know anything else about her. 
we're not taught to appreciate the fact that she is the moon goddess. Our colonized version of her story ends at that fragmentation. Yet today we can see that on the moon, there is the life and resiliency of Koja Shaoki present. Every 29 days, the moon remakes itself. It, it goes through the cycle of appearing and disappearing. It puts itself back together into that glorious light of a full moon. Koja Shaoki, in a sense, calls back her energy to become whole again. And that wholeness, that putting ourselves back together, is an act that we do in deconstructing and reconstructing our faith, our life, our knowledge. And um, when we do that, there are forces that are working to toward that project of life as actively as we work to fulfill it and to bring about the vision of wholeness that we have. We know what these forces are, as I mentioned, patriarchy, white supremacy, the grind culture. But we cannot go at it alone. Deconstructing and reconstructing can be very painful and oftentimes requires that we bring in our commodities, that we bring other people, friends who understand that there are these forces out there that are working against us. Friends that are aware that this vision will require collaboration. This vision will require commitment together. Friends that nurture dreams, ambitions of the people that we're seeking to become. We need friends who know and understand all of this and commit to the flourishing of those people that we're seeking to build. Even when we are not strong enough or not present enough to those versions of ourselves and those visions of justice that we have. And that's who I like to call our comadres. The literal translation of that word comadres means to mother with, right? And it is those people whom with you mother, not literal descendants, or perhaps for some of you, yes, literal descendants, but rather with those who you collaborate for the descendants of justice that you want to have by bringing healing and wholeness to yourself and the communities around you. Comadres are the midwives and the godmothers of those beautiful, joyous, glorious futures that we seek. So comadres, how are you showing up to this table? How have you experienced the remembering of yourself, the remembering of the dreams of liberation through comadre relationships? Sandy, thank you for that reminder of how the process of decolonizing is ongoing and we get to be in progress at all times. You know, when I think about Comadreo, I, I think of this image of midwives that for me is often evoked in the Old Testament, but it's also midwifery is a modern practice where, you know, women are trained as doulas and midwives to accompany women in the birthing process and birthing rooms. And as we know, Shifra and Pua, uh, the midwives in the story of Exodus, these two women who were among many who were in community, that when the edict of death was spoken over the lives of particularly the, the Jewish boys that were to be born, they strategized and their leadership is so audacious and courageous and vulnerable and creative. And even though there was edicts of death being spoken all over, these midwives decided not among us, not here, not with our hands and not in our birthing rooms. 
So when I think of comadres, I think of these friendships where we are so aware of the edicts of death that are often spoken over our lives, over our community members, over our experiences. And there's this stubborn hope to say that will not be so among us. That will not be so among our birthing rooms and conversations and eating and sharing time together. And you too have been some of my comadres in this season. And you've there's always a gentle welcome uh, for all who I am. <laughs> and there's also a quick call out of things that don't feel congruent, things that feel odd or to offer a different perspective of how I might engage a conversation. The healing for me has mostly come from not feeling like I need to compartmentalize who I am. I think the healing has felt like it just bring it all, bring it, bring the full, the whole part of who I am and all will be received and all will be tended to and all will be discerned together. And I'm thinking back, my experience in undergrad is a season where I think I became the most dismembered. I was code switching at an astronomical <laughs> and really unhealthy levels. And it left me with this deep disconnection in my experience between my body and my mind. I am head first, heart second. And that chasm became even deeper as I stepped into more schooling. And so I was grateful that I was in grad school, that I was met with comadres, hermanas, and spaces of healing that slowly and tenderly brought me back to a membered self again, where I didn't feel like I needed to hide parts of who I am or parts of how I speak or parts of how I celebrate. And it's, it began this process of, you know, not necessarily always having to think of myself, who, what kind of gen can show up in this place? Like that question is no longer something I entertain most days. And I'm grateful for the, the friendships that have encouraged my mending again, because I don't have to give that question as much energy as I did seven years ago. Thank you, Jennifer. I love that. And I love the reflection on midwifery and the way that connects uh, to these ideas. I don't know if you know this, but um, Sandy and I actually met when we both worked together in the same organization. And she came into my life at a time where I felt very dismembered. And sometimes, frankly, I felt crazy because it seemed like I was the only one struggling through certain things or seeing certain things and nobody else was seeing them or recognizing them or naming them. And I ended up meeting Sandy at this retreat where we both, you know, we ended up spending a lot of time together and talking and it helped me to recognize one, that I can only bring certain parts of myself into this space and that she struggled with that same reality because it wasn't safe to bring all of who we were uh, into that space. And just that acknowledgement that naming was so healing for me. And it was really the beginning of our comadreo, uh, this retreat time, even though it was the very beginning uh, too of our comadrasco, right? And so I always think back to that time as a beginning 
in a sense of of being remembered, re-membered, right? Um, Not being dismembered any longer, but being reconnected. And since then, what has happened in my life is that um, that relationship brought healing to certain parts of me. It was, at the time that I met Sandy, it was the first time that I published something uh, that went out into the world that felt very vulnerable. I remember telling her, I'm experiencing a vulnerability hangover, to use uh, Brene Brown's words, <laughs> because I written this article about uh, Latina identity and Jane the Virgin. And um, it was healing to have a, a safe place to be all of who I am, um, to be in the midst of this very predominantly white space, but have this um, creation of space just between the two of us where I could be fully real and I could bring that. And so it was very healing and that that was the beginning of my seeking other spaces like that. And I think it's important for me um, and perhaps for all of you as well to think about not all friendships with other Latinas or with other women of color are going to bring that kind of healing and restoration. You know, all of us are on a journey and without judgment, we can say that, right? And I have been in spaces with other women of color who have, for example, made me feel uh, judged for, you know, working in a predominantly white space. I've been in spaces with women who deny any existence of racism or discrimination um, in all realms within our society. And, you know, these are not the friendships or bonds that are going to bring healing and restoration to me. Not to say that I wish any of these women ill, but those are um, perhaps not going to be comadrascos, right? They're not going to be these uh, bonds of kinship that are gonna be healing and restorative. And so thank you, Sandy, for bringing this conversation to us. Oh, I just remembered um, that first retreat, we were out in the Sandy Point, um, Chesapeake Bay area. I was still living in the West Coast. Uh, We won't debate which is the best coast right now, but (laughs) um, (laughs) we would like to say comadres. (laughs) Keep it at that space. But I do remember, you know, I think we were two Latinas in this room of like 80 other people who held our position in this organization. And um, I mean, and I even remember uh, going out to like the only little restaurant in this little town in Maryland and just looking around and realizing like everyone is with somebody else in this table. Like they all made plans to come together and there were Karen and I sitting in this like little table uh, by ourselves, we hadn't been invited, right? Like we were like the only two people who weren't invited to be a part of that. And how important it becomes to have people that have the same experiences. And not only that have the same experiences, but that can hold up a mirror to ourselves that reflects the beauty of who we are, that really receives the fullness of who we are. And that says, you know, you are saying what you're thinking is true, what you know it's true, your knowledge, uh, what you feel and experience in your body is true, Um, especially in a space where we are often gaslit, 
where we are often um, made to think that we are the problem, right? Rather than uh, knowing that we are part of systems that have alienated us, that have put us on the margins and that have told us that we are the ones that are inadequate. Um, It is so important to have those uh, people in our lives that commit to saying, now we're going to call out exactly what you said, um, Jennifer, like all those edicts for our dead. We know exactly what they're saying. We know exactly how they see us as lazy or they see us as the angry Latina or they see us as X, Y, and Z. And we're going to say, we're going to flip that. And so in that commitment, um, Gloria Anseldua writes about this Koyoshauki imperative for healing. She makes this vision for what it, uh, what it means. And so I'm going to read from her. And it says, um, the Koyoshauki imperative is to heal and achieve integration. When fragmentations occur, you fall apart and feel as though you've been expelled from paradise. Koyoshauki is my symbol for this necessary process of dismemberment and fragmentation, of seeing that self or the situations you're embroiled in differently. It is also my symbol, Gloria says, (laughs) for reconstruction and reframing. One that allows for putting the pieces together in a new way. The Koyolshauki imperative is an ongoing process of making and unmaking. There is never any resolution, just the process of healing. Whew, I said with that last line, there is no resolution, just the process of healing. And so for generations, um, women ex in our, in our communities, they have used relationships of comadrazo to be committed to one another and they have used particular practices, such as the moon meditations, to heal. And uh, I want to speak a little bit more about what this have done and um, how I have brought those into my own experience. And um, we'll get to experience a little bit of this when we do our Juntando Lo Todo episode. And I'm excited for that practice that we'll do together. But usually... There is a sense in these moon meditations and in healing circles of being connected to nature, of reminding us that we are present to this universe that has been going on for a longer time. One of the big things that is important about the ceremonies is the particularity of sitting in circles and seeing how circles are present both in the full moon, in the shape of the earth, and then in this moment, we can have that sort of mirror that says creation understands you, the earth understands you, you belong here, you are not alone. And that is able to serve as mirrors to reflect your um, identity back to you. We also, um, I also read a lot about how women may have been the first mathematicians, the first ones to play with astrology. And that has probably something to do with the moon, with the fact that uh, for women and other people who menstruate, um, there is often, you know, that presence of, of a bodily process that comes and is aligned with the moon. And so it started tracking and realizing that we are more connecting, more connected with the universe than we think. So in that vein, setting ourselves up and aligning ourselves up to the moon cycle, particularly using the energy of that full Koyoshauki, of that full moon coming, and using that for healing has been really healing for me. Oftentimes around 
um, around full moons, I take baths. I take baths with different herbs that are calming to me. And that is one of the one of the ways in which I seek to bring healing to myself so that I can participate in these relationships of comadrasco in a more um, whole way. And so those are some of the practices that we have. Um, but I'm or that I have. <laughs> I am curious what practices have helped you uh, develop that comadre relationship. What are the rituals or ceremonies that you have engaged in to sustain the Koyoshauki imperative, that commitment to healing? For yourself so that you can participate in greater relationships of comadrasco. Yeah, that's beautiful, Sandy. Thank you. I was thinking as you were talking about sort of my own failures in, in comadrasco and not being the kind of person who would bring healing and restoration where people could be their full selves because there were many years of my life that I spent not being my full self. And I think when you're not your full self, it's hard for other people to do that in their in your presence too. And I think for many years that I spent sort of assimilating into white culture and denying key parts of who I am. A very important practice for me in Comadrasco has been to be present and to pay attention. And when I say to be present, I don't just mean being, you know, physically there as a body, but being present as I am with my Spanglish, <laughs> since my Spanish is not nearly as good as my English is. Uh, being present with all of um, who I am, the kinds of uh, foods that I enjoy, the way that I enjoy uh, being together um, and talking, being all of who I am in a space is what I mean by being present and being intentional with that because it can be tempting in any space to fall back, right, toward facade, um, toward presenting a certain a certain image. So I think being fully present um, is really important to me as a practice. I think also for me, part of Comadrasco has been, you know, a lot of the way that you and I, Sandy, built our relationship was I we learned to cook together and I learned a lot from you. There's things that I've learned to cook with you that I make now. And I think that connection with um, our food, our spices, our way of um, bringing, you know, sazón to our food. I think that has been a way that also has helped me to sort of bring that reality and presence and an acknowledgement, right, of my whole self. Um, so I think paying attention um, is another practice that has been really important to me because for so long I didn't pay attention. I was not fully there. I only brought certain parts of who I am. So now I try to do that as a, really as a spiritual practice, uh, paying attention, um, seeing differently, trying to understand, not defaulting to judgment, but defaulting to curiosity um, about other people, about myself. And so these have been really important 
practices for me in developing comadre relationships. And they're not exactly rituals, but some of them have a, a sort of mystical nature to them in trying to uh, sustain that um, remembering. I so agree with both of you that comadrazgo takes intentionality. It You have to opt in. It won't just magically appear <laughs> before you as sometimes I think I've wanted it to just work. And it takes intentional work. When I think of the Koyoshauki imperative, and I love that when, you know, Gloria Ansaldua talks about this imperative, the language she uses of like, when we are not in these places, we feel like we've been expelled from paradise. And when we are in these places, we feel embroidered or put together back again. And so when I think of the practices that help me recognize um, the expulsion from paradise, for me, it's been really important to prioritize my own processing of the wounds. I think in other seasons of my life, I was working out my anger and my pain and my wounds on others. And I became a barrier for someone to have a comadre's girlfriendship or relationship with me because I had exported the responsibility of healing to other people. And so for me, engaging in therapy and spiritual direction have both been commitments I have made so that it's not, I don't work my pain out on you, but I can share what is painful and you could mirror back to me, right? As you were talking, Sandy, of, yeah, that should hurt or, oh, that's so painful. But that I expect the mirroring, but not the working out of that pain on others. And there are seasons where I have done that <laughs> um, inappropriately, um, unintentionally. And so because of that, recognizing my own dismemberedness. I need to prioritize therapy in places where I process that before I process it on others. So that the coming together, uh, for me, one of the most important practices is eating together, whether we prepare the meal or we just share the meal. And my favorite kind of gatherings where food is present is where there is an abundance at the table, right? Where there's like a variety of things to eat. <laughs> I love variety. I don't like to just have like one protein choice. You know what I mean? Like give, give me choices. Make it fun. Uh, food food should be exciting. And it's it's supposed to be an exchange of creativity. But there's also a depth of conversation that moves beyond the niceties, that moves beyond the easy jokes, and that begins to actually tell stories that matter. And so when I think of the comadres in my life, they're the women's that whose table I have been invited to and people who I've invited to my table. And one of my deep comadres in life is my friend Julie as well. And her table has been the place of a lot of vulnerability and a lot of healing because it is over those meals where like people are not watching the time where you just keep grazing and grazing and grazing. And, you know, when when we have been able to share space, that's exactly what it feels like. Like the meal is the event because it takes hours. <laughs> you know, it's not like we eat for 30 minutes and then we bounce. It's there's this there's this come and, and see and stay and talk to me about things that are happening. And so I think in order to to have healthy comadre relationships, these volunteer kinship moments, 
I need to be first responsible for my own processing. Um, I am an active participant in my healing, not a passive participant. And for me, that's meant therapy and spiritual direction. And communal practices have been around eating together and preparing meals that are abundant in choice, but are also are abundant in story and honesty. I particularly in a post pandemic, not post pandemic, but post quarantine. And now that people are seeing each other, COVID is still very real. I, I kind of lost a large threshold I had for small talk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I don't really care. <laughs> Vamos al grano. <laughs> Vamos al grano. And I think that's part of what makes Comadre relationship so special is that the small talk is not a precursor for vulnerability. It's we don't even have to like entertain those. And that's that's when I know I've gotten to a comadre space with someone is when I no longer have to entertain those shallow spaces for too long. I could just ask the question <laughs> or I can just ask the curiosity or I can bring what I've been processing in therapy and many of the episodes here have been inspired by therapies, <laughs> sessions that have become awareness, that have become wanting to share, right, that with others. And so, yeah, yeah, that's what comes to mind when when I think of this Koyoshauki uh, imperative that we need to keep at hand when we have these comadre um, spaces. Yeah, and I love that sort of like individual and communal healing that needs to happen that are threaded together, right? And so the spaces of like, we have to be as committed to our healing and liberation so that the communities and spaces that are around us can be healed and liberated. And for so long, particularly for those of us that have been in like activist spaces or movement spaces, we've disconnected, right? Like we're seeking like the healing and the the rights of everything out there. But we forget that if we are walking into those spaces with such um, unresolved issues that we start putting those out there. And I love what you're sharing uh Jen, you made me think of like two things. One is like the going directo al grano, like when people ask you, you know, ¿qué te pasa, mamita? You know, like what, what's going on like right away? You don't have to um, poner una pantalla. You can just go into it, right? And like, how do we foster that safety? And I think that that's what we wanted to do with the, the with this podcast. When we were initially naming this podcast, we thought a lot about sobremesas, right? We thought about like, how do we going to that space where guards are off, where there is uh, there is just joy and abundance, right? Where there is a whole banquet rich with food for the body and the soul. And that's what we want to bring you in this space with Café with Comadres. And it is what we want to uh, foster in your communities. I'd love, I would love to see this, this sort of Comadrasco relationships extending throughout different parts of the country and the world, wherever you listen to us, and that you would experience that healing, both by the practices that we offer, but by the relationships that we invite you to be a part of, that you would experience that with people locally as well. So, ah, any closing thoughts? Just that it is possible, you know, I, I think there was there were seasons of my life where I felt so, so dismembered and there were so many dismembered people around me that 
the idea that I could have something like what I have with you two and what I have with other friends felt really out of reach. (laughs) And I'm grateful that there were others that told me, no, there will be a day where you will be, you will take ownership of your healing and you will join others who are taking ownership of their healing and you will heal even deeper together. And so whether you are a recipient of Comadrazgo now or you're really longing for it, just know that it is indeed possible to have it and it requires both an individual and communal commitment. And I've been so enriched and so healed, particularly in a year where there's been so much pain and grief. I don't know how I would have made it through this last two years without the comadrasco that we have had, truly. And I hope that you can say the same thing about your friendships. And, and if you can't, what, what are some of the ways, right, that you can start to, to set up the table so that one day... Comadrazgo will also be present in your life. Mm-hmm. Pero si se puede. Vale la pena y cuesta, cuesta esfuerzo. Um, for sure. But this is what I wish for everyone I know. Yeah. And I think also, I think it's good to remember that the healing is ongoing. There's never a place at which you arrive. Um, as you heal together, you grow together, and it's a, it's a continuous uh, journey and I think also remembering that Comadrasco will be imperfect. It will, uh, you know, we're people, we're flawed, and we bring our insecurities and our all, right, into places. And so it's okay to continue to heal and forgive and accept uh, the imperfection as as part of what is um, what is also good and you know what is also um, normal, I guess in any in any relationship because I think sometimes ideals can be the enemy of of things that are really good and really worthwhile, and I think particularly if you've been wounded in a comadre relationship, it can be really difficult to want to enter in again, and so. Yeah, it's it's a risk, but it's a worthwhile risk, and it is an ongoing healing journey, and it, and it won't be perfect, but it will be good. Hmm. It will be good, and it will be worth it. Yes, I would say let's not believe the lies that tell us that we can go at it alone. Let's not believe the lies that... Um, that forces into those violent and dominant kind of relationships, competitive kind of relationships. But let's commit ourselves to that spirit of Koyoshauki, of bringing together all the things that have been dismembered and reinventing ourselves constantly. And a commitment to stay in the complexity of healing, first with ourselves and with one another. Bueno, se los dije, la cosa se puso buena. That is the Comadre style. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you listen to it. It helps others find us. Follow us on Instagram at Café with Comadres and leave comments on this episode's post to continue the conversation. Nos vemos en la siguiente sobremesa. Hasta luego. Bye. Hasta la próxima.